You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Uh, If you've been here for the last few weeks, you will know that we are in our Chosen series. We are uh, week three of our Chosen series. Pastor Martin opened week one, looked at the life of Daniel and looked at how Daniel was chosen um, to live a life of influence and looked at the different ways that that, that Daniel, a teenager, a young teenager, lived a life that caused a whole kingdom, a whole nation to be influenced by his life. How incredible to know that actually it's not based on our age, but actually for all of us, whether young or old, we can have a kingdom impact and God chooses us. And last week, Dr. John Andrews was here and brought an incredible message and helped bring some crystallization to our thoughts that actually we as the people of God aren't born ready, but God takes us on a journey to be ready. That actually sometimes we can despise the process that God brings us in on this kind of wild journey called life, but actually we're not waiting to get to a place of purpose, but our process is all part of the purpose. And that God is teaching us every day the same grace that has saved us and has allowed us and shown us that we are chosen is the same grace that teaches us. And so today we're on week three, and in the midst of all of this, our hope and prayer here at CLM in this series is that you would catch the heartbeat of God and understand that you are chosen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are chosen. You are chosen. That he continues to work in us right now, that you don't sit here by accident. You don't know him. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is not a coincidence or an accident. God didn't just go, oh, great, I'm stuck with them. But actually, God chose you. I don't know if you guys have ever been left out of anything. Has anyone ever been chosen last for something? Anyone here? Yeah, a few of us. I'm going to say actually probably all of us at some point, just not willing to admit it. Has anyone been, gets chosen first for everything, every time? God bless you. Come on. Yeah, okay, Peter, you come and pray for us then, Peter. No, I'm joking. Actually, um, I had a recent time where I was left out of something. I don't use my uh, opportunity to preach always as an opportunity to vent, but I work in the office, okay? We have uh, an office on level one, an office on level two here at CLM. And as part of that, if you didn't know before, you can ring up church, you can call church, and then your call can be put through to one of the team. Okay, and so we have extensions for all of team. You can see this lovely list. I brought it. That's how petty I am, okay? So... (laughs) I brought this list of uh, names and numbers, okay? So extensions, who have we got here? If you want Mark Beswick, want to talk to him about worship or join in as a singer, um, then you can do that. You can, his extension's there. What is his extension? I can't even see him anymore. What's your extension, Mark? You wouldn't know. 263, 263, there's Mark. Wonderful. Just say 263 next time we call up church, okay? Then we've got John. The kitchen's got one, okay? The PA desk has got one. Even the lounge, okay? It's not even a person. The lounge has got an extension number. <sighs> it's all right, Luke, relax. This was really, I've worked at church for two years now, okay? This was released two months ago, okay? And there is one name missing from this list. <laughs> yeah, you already know. You see. We might be chosen, but I was forgotten. I was forgotten. Thank you so much, Uncle Jack. Okay, whoever makes this list, if you're hearing this right now, please, in front of the people, you know, this principle, if someone sins against you, go to them. I'm bringing it to the people. 
<laughs> no, I'm joking. I use this as a trivial example, but all of us could probably relate more to not the feeling of being chosen necessarily or picked first, but more to the, relate to the feeling of being left out, of what it feels like to be forgotten, of, of not seen, of not being chosen. I, and I joke around with this, but actually we can probably more relate to feelings of not being chosen. And we can relate more to feelings of feeling a little bit like, actually, I'm just an add-on here. Could be in your family experience. It could be in your social life. It could be what you experienced in sport or academics. Who knows? But life can hit us hard when it comes to this. And it's so important that we catch and understand the heart of this, that God sees you. He never forgets you. You're not a side thought or an add-on. He knows your extension number. Okay? He knows mine. Thank God. But actually, it's so important that we catch this as the people of God because this is foundational in our identity. All that flows out in our actions is in relation directly to who we are. The most important thing that we think about is is how we think of God and how we think of ourselves. And actually, to understand that we are chosen, we are not forgotten. Two verses here that Pastor Martin looked at in week one. I'm not going to unpack them, but you can write them down. You can head to the podcast and listen to this a little bit more, but Ephesians 1 paints this beautiful picture. A little bit further down, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Even before the world was created, you were on his mind. Wow. Incredible thought. Not just that you were chosen and that just means that we stay as chosen people, but actually then we are chosen for purpose. First Peter 2.9, it talks about all of these things that we are. Peter was writing not to the apostles, he was writing to scattered believers. This would have been young believers as well. You could have known Jesus for a whole minute. And God still says this about you. He says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And then he says all of these things of identity that you might declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into glorious light. That he, he, he sings over you. He wants you to grasp and understand this identity so that you can walk out and walk in purpose. As chosen ones, there's so much for us to walk in. You may think that God, that you chose God, but actually the truth is God chose you. We hold this tension because, of course, if you sit here as a follower of Jesus, did you at some point make a decision to follow? Yes. But is it not true that at the same time, God in his sovereignty caused the scales to fall from your eyes and for you to see the brokenness of your own life and your need for a savior? Why? Because he loves you. He knows you. He sees you. And he chooses you. A chosen people, as we've read there, from Peter, chosen to declare his praises. And today I want to focus on this theme a little bit more by helping us see that as people of God, we are chosen to lead others to freedom. Turn to your neighbor, the other neighbor, the one you ignored last time, and tell them you're a freedom bringer. The person that just received that say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I understand we preachers make this awkward. I love being up here because... I don't have to do that awkward moment. Who do I turn to? Anyway, just being real. Freedom bringers, chosen to lead others to freedom. Today we're going to look 
at a man called Moses. And some of us would have heard his story many times before. Some of us would have watched uh, the film and seen DreamWorks kind of dramatize this. Great film. But we're going to learn some things from his life as one who, like us, was called to lead people to freedom. You can read this for yourself, this whole kind of picture of Moses being called all the way to him, leading his people through the Red Sea and out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 1, 3 to 15. Have a read of it. It's action-packed. This is kind of like Sunday school gold. Treasure Kids teachers love this because there's plagues, there's frogs, all sorts going on, baby in a basket, lots of visuals. But actually, this isn't just a child's story. There's so much we can learn from this. So much for us to see and gain from this. But as a quick overview, as I don't have time to fully go through all of the details, Dr. John last week, he looked at a man called Joseph. And Joseph, through some awful but incredible circumstances, he was raised to a place where he was second in the land only to Pharaoh. He was there as a foreigner, and he was there in the land of Egypt, and God had positioned him to rule. Why? Because there was a famine in the land, and the place where the food was, the place of safety, was Egypt. And so because of his position, the Israelites, the people of God, were brought into Egypt, and they were safe there. But then the Bible tells us, the start of Exodus, that Joseph and his generation had passed away. The Bible literally says that that anyone who remembered um, Joseph or who thought that he was good, had passed away. Like anyone who had anything to do with Joseph was now dead. And so all that happened was a new Pharaoh came into town, and he looked at these Israelite people, and he thought, these are a problem. These are a problem. He had nothing to do with Joseph. He had no allegiance to him. So he comes, and he sees these people have have been fruitful, and they've multiplied. And now with men, women, and children, there's about two million of them. And so he's like, this is an issue. If these guys have an issue with us, they could... They could be an army against us. And so what's his solution? A man whose heart was hard, the evil of the human heart. He said, we need to enslave these people. We need to oppress them to a place where they feel weak and powerless. We need to make sure that they are in a place where they cannot be powerful. And so that's what he does. The Egyptians enslave the Israelites. Now Moses, who was an Israelite and should have been killed because of a royal decree, he ends up, through miraculous events that you can read in the story, he ends up being raised in the palace by the funds and provision of the very man that wanted to kill him because he was worried about the Israelites. And so he gets raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He ends up being Pharaoh's grandson. And so he gets raised and he lives in the palace for 40 years. But through this time and through his upbringing, he begins to see and understand that actually these people who were oppressed, these people who were being enslaved were his people. And so one day he's walking along and he sees an Israelite slave being beaten by an Egyptian. And something like, he's got a passion in his heart. He knows it's not right. And so what he does in a moment of passion, he sees red and he kills this man. And so he doesn't know what to do, and he flees from Egypt. And he ends up fleeing through the desert. He ends up in a place called Midian. And he ends up living here for 40 years. And while he's here, he ends up getting married to a woman called Zipporah. He works for her father, and he ends up being a shepherd there for 40 years. And this is where we pick up the story. So he's like this for 40 years, and then he comes across a burning bush. A bush that was burning but not being consumed. And it turns out it was the creator of the heavens and the earth, God Almighty Adonai, who had come and wanted to speak to him. And so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Exodus 3. 
And we're going to pick up some of this story, learn some things from Moses as God comes to him. Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8. I'll give you some time to get there. If you haven't got a Bible device, it's on the screen as well. It says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Here is God in the burning bush speaking to Moses. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we see here Almighty God, He comes down in a burning bush. He cares enough for His people and He hears their cries that He, he steps into humanity. And he speaks to one of his children. And he says, I don't want this situation. I don't want my people in slavery or in bondage. So I want you to go. So important. I think we can sometimes see the burning bush and it becomes kind of just a nice picture in our head. Whenever you see the burning bush or hear about it, I want you to think God is passionate about seeing his people free. He cares enough about seeing a people set free from bondage and the things that oppress them that he's willing to come down. Well, how much does this ring of Jesus? This has always been God's heart. One of the themes consistently throughout Scripture is that God desires freedom for his people. And we begin to see and understand that the greatest need for freedom comes actually for all humanity because we are in the bondage of sin. For each one of us as humans that we are enslaved to our own wants, whims, and desires. Jesus talks about this and makes it really clear. In John 8, 34 and 36, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So everyone who does things that miss the mark of what God has outlined or what God wants, they're a slave to their sin. But then he says this, Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And we love this. We say this often. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's come in and Jesus himself, he paints the picture of bad news that all of humanity is enslaved to their own desires. That actually even worse than this, that the consequence of being enslaved to those desires is that we're going to be separated from God. That if we stay in this place of bondage, we're going to die in this place of bondage. If we stay in this place of being enslaved to our sin, we're going to die here. God knew that with the Israelites. He said, if you don't go, they're going to die there. And that's not what I want for them. And that's the same heart that God has for us today. Jesus comes and he says, that might be bad news, but actually I've come And if I set you free, if you find freedom through me, which you can, you'll be free. You are going to know freedom from sin, freedom from this bondage, freedom from the death and the separation that follows. This is the good news of Jesus. 
Sin equals bondage, but Jesus equals freedom. Jesus has come and promises life and life in all of its fullness. And the problem with the world is that sin, it can look alluring. And it, and it shouts to us and it says actually that there is life and freedom here. This is what it means to be free. Don't live by rules. And actually Jesus comes and he flips it on its head. And he says, actually, if you live in this place where you follow the world, then that is bondage and captivity. The world might say that's freedom, but that's not freedom. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. He's not wanting to have, cause us to live a boxed in life, but if we're set free by Jesus, we're set free indeed. I had to go on this journey as a young man of finding out that God, my creator, the creator of all things, but the creator of me, he has a purpose and a plan better than I do for my own life. And that if only I yield to it fully and completely, there's such freedom. Such freedom because who the sun sets free is free indeed. For some of you here today, you might not feel like you're walking in this freedom. And, and what I've really experienced kind of in journeying with some people is we can often feel still in a place of bondage when we've got one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. It leaves us in a place where we can't go anywhere. I'll often say this to young people. You might be worried that I'm the youth pastor now. But I often say, I say, listen, if you're going to run after the world, run after it hard. Don't bother with lukewarm Christianity because it's not worth it. But if you're going to run after Jesus, you can know his freedom fully and completely. But in this place of, of one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, I don't know freedom. All I know is religion and that feels like another weight. Galatians 5.1, it paints this picture for us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Jesus, Paul is saying here, don't go back to that place of bondage. You don't have to experience that. But some of us, I'm sure many of us sat here today, we can feel in this place. And we can feel like I don't feel free. It just feels like there's rules and regs. But when you come into relationship with Jesus things just begin to click. Freedom is not in our works. It's not in us trying harder. It's in Christ alone. Jesus, the freedom bringer, the one who binds the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. And that's Jesus. And then we have to look at ourselves and understand that we are called to bring freedom. Like Moses, there are many lives that need to be impacted by God. There's hope and life that needs to be brought in all of our spheres of influence because people are in the bondage and captivity of sin. And in Moses, God was sending a savior to the people in slavery. And with us, we're going to tell of a, of a savior to a people that are in bondage and say, I know a savior. I know freedom. I've tasted freedom. And it's found in Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted to share this beautiful news. We have been chosen to lead others to freedom. And I want us to look briefly at the things that freedom bringers, that us as chosen people do from the life of Moses to see some of his grapple and some of his walk as God commanded him to go and bring freedom. And God calls us to do the same. So firstly, chosen people overcome their inadequacy. Chosen people overcome their inadequacy. You know, God comes and he... He appears to Moses and he comes to him and 
There's this kind of spectacular moment. He stands on holy ground and he's before the living God. And, and then God says, go and set my people free. I don't want this. And what does Moses respond? We can see it here on the next slide in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God gives him this command and says, you're chosen to bring freedom. Moses goes, who am I? Who am I that I can do this? You want, me to, you want me to do what? You want me to lead others to freedom? This thought, we, we begin to see some of this, the insecurity and inadequacy that Moses was feeling. Like, I can really resonate with Moses. I can resonate with him because I see a man being honest in and with his weakness. You know, this whole burning bush encounter when he's confronted with God's command and God's holiness, something of his weakness is exposed. God's not harsh. He doesn't reprimand him. Remember, he knows Moses completely and fully, and yet he still asks him to go. And it's like Moses feels the need to remind him. He's like, I'm not sure if you know me, God. (laughs) And in that encounter, Moses asks five questions of God to try and refute his ask for him to go. And in those five questions, we... We, we see some things that Moses feels in his question and, ask, and asking. He, we see that he feels inadequate. This first question really roots it all of, of who am I, of identity. He, he can hear that he's chosen all he wants. Of course he was chosen. He just didn't feel like it. His life was miraculous. He'd been raised a prince. God had appeared to him in a burning bush. We're doing three weeks on chosen. We can tell you all we want, but he stood before God And like us, he can know he's chosen, but there's just a bit of a disconnect and he doesn't feel chosen in that moment. He feels inadequate. He feels unauthorized. He feels afraid. He feels unqualified. He goes to him at at this point in verse 10 of chapter 4 and he says, I've got a speech problem. I can't speak properly. How am I meant to stand before the most powerful man, the ruler of the, the, the most powerful nation in all the world and tell him to set my people? God, I can't even speak properly. And God, in all of those four instances, he affirms him. He says, I I am who I am. I'll be with you. He comes with promise. He comes with assurance. He comes with divine revelation and showing himself. And yet we see in the final question, really, of the heart that was exposed. In verse 13, at the end of all of this, he goes, God, could you send someone else? God comes to him and says, you're chosen to bring freedom did God go, okay, oh, I must have made a mistake, Moses. Let me go and find another, let me go find another bush to burn and meet with an, another person. God's not a man that he should lie or a man that he should change his mind. So Moses is thrown all these things to him, and in that moment, God's anger burned against Moses. I feel like if God's anger burned, we should pay attention. Because why did his anger burn? Because he'd, he'd been trying to affirm and show him something of his identity and show him that he'd be with him, that he'd be chosen. But actually, it got to this point and it just showed that Moses had a bit of a hard heart in this. The reason God had come is because he'd heard the anguish and cry of a people. And sometimes we can get to this place. If you see all of those statements, it was all about him, me, how I feel. Listen, I, I, I can understand. I'm not trying to rebuke you. I come to this place myself as well. But actually, we have to understand and have the heart of God on this. 
God was saying, it's not about you. It's a people, two million people that are in captivity, that are in bondage still. And we could stand here and say, I don't feel chosen. In fact, Lord, send someone else. We can look at other people and think great for them. We can try and live vicariously through other Christians. We can read great testimonies and think great for them, great for, for uh, Jackie Pullinger, great for Nikki Cruz, great for some of these big pastors. But we think, Lord, you've chosen them and sent them. And God would say, no, I've chosen you. I want you to go. Not to stand before me and say, send someone else. He's got things in your life because he's chosen you to bring freedom to others. We can throw so many things back at God. It might not just be our inadequacies. The reason that I've entitled it inadequacy, overcome inadequacy, is because the dictionary definition of overcome is to just be successful in dealing with and to be inadequate. The dictionary definition just struck me. It said, feeling insufficient for a purpose. Wow. God comes and he says, I've got purpose for you, Moses. And Moses says, I I don't feel, I feel insufficient. And God wants us to deal with that. And does dealing with that always look like God taking away our weaknesses? No, it doesn't. It looks like God being glorified in our weakness. Listen, if you've got your own list of excuses, you need to bring them before him. That's one thing that Moses got right in this. Sometimes we can just mentally rehearse our inadequacies. We can just go along thinking. We can have an internal dialogue and says, okay, I hear that truth, but this is my own truth. You don't know me. You don't know what I've walked. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know how weak or fallible I am. You don't know what I did this week. And we can rehearse our own dialogue. Not even just keeping it ahead. Sometimes we can tell our friends and hopefully we've got good friends and they point us back to Jesus. But sometimes the last place that we want to bring our weakness is to a holy God. The last place that we want to bring our vulnerability, even though he already sees all, is to our incredible creator. And yet we see something of Moses. And we learn something that actually has chosen people we can go. We can go in our best moment. We can go in our lowest moment. Listen, in my inadequacies, it's great for me to talk to my mom and dad, godly people. I've got godly friends around me. I could get the pastors to pray for me and other people. But actually, I have to go to God myself. For me to get up here on a Sunday and face my own fears and my own anxieties and my own feeling of not being enough in inadequacies, I have to go to God myself. My mom's not going to fight that battle for me. You can't fight that battle for me. Martin and Esther can't fight that battle for me. I have to go to God myself. And for whatever you're being called to, you have to go to God yourself and bring your inadequacy. It's okay because he will help you overcome. Life can lay siege to our confidence, can lay siege to our, our feelings of security in Christ. The more life I do, I realize this. Some, something can knock us for six. And we just feel like I used to feel this, but I, I don't anymore. I used to feel like I could overcome and I was more, of a con- more than a conquering Christ, but right now I just feel inadequate. And the Lord wants to, to bring you back to him. I'm not asking you to rehearse the, the truths that I'm enough or that I have no weakness or I'm free from sin or fallibility but that he is more than enough. And that despite my brokenness and my weakness, he chose me anyway. I I encourage you when you get home to have a look at Moses and God's interaction in this. God doesn't say, okay, I'll take away your speech impediment. 
God doesn't say, okay, you're, you're more than enough. He says, I am who I am. I'll go with you. If you need some help and support, I'll send it with you. But know that if the God of this universe is with you, who can be against you? God approves of you. He loves you. He is for you. Overcoming in some of these things when it's relation to sin, of course God wants you to be free from that. But there's some things that look like weaknesses in our life that we want to get rid of where we just have to invite him in. And know and acknowledge that my qualification to walk in this came because he called me, not because of who I am. It was never about that anyway. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5 and 6, powerful verses. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. Moses goes. It's not that he doesn't stand there and just says, I can't go. He eventually goes to Pharaoh. He overcomes his inadequacy because chosen people overcome their inadequacy. They don't stay in this place to let fear rule them or to let their past rule them or let what they've walked in rule them. They've said, no, the Lord has called me to go and he's the one that qualifies me. Secondly, chosen people continue in obedience. If you know the story, Moses, he does go. He goes to Pharaoh He overcomes his inadequacies. God gets Aaron to go with him back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to free his people. And Moses is obedient. And the first time Moses goes, Pharaoh, actually, he he says, I'm going to make the Israelites work harder. They're crying out because they're lazy. Imagine God goes and tells you to do something and then the opposite of what you want to happen happens. And God had already said, like, Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard and it's going to take some time. But imagine... This happens and the Israelites come to him and they're angry with him and say, look what you've done. It'd be better if you just stayed out of it. He goes and he's obedient to God. He overcomes his inadequacies and then it's all thrown back in his face. Imagine we can walk like that. Sometimes we can be obedient to God and it just, it gets thrown back to us. You can be like, Lord, I'm trying to do what you've said here. I'm trying to live as you've called me to do. I'm doing what you've asked. I'm saying what you want me to say and doing what you want me to do. And this is what's happening. But what was Moses' response? He was obedient anyway. And we've got hindsight. It's great for us to look back in the story and go, yay, the people were freed. Moses had a promise from God. And he went back to Pharaoh time and time and time again. This verse from chapter 7 of Exodus is a phrase that's repeated Here in verse 10, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. This is a common theme throughout the story, the obedience of Moses and Aaron, because chosen people continue in obedience. It's not just a one-off decision to say, right, I've overcome inadequacy or I've given my life to Jesus, but a lifelong pursuit of saying, okay, Lord, if you highlight this to me, I'm going to be obedient here. God, even when it doesn't look like your ways are working, I'm going to trust your word. Lord, even when it hurts and it pains me and everyone else is gossiping and and even some of the people of God feel like they're standing against me, I'm going to obey. I've resolved. It's like Pastor Martin with Daniel, he resolved to follow God's ways. 
For some of you here, you might be trying to draw your parallels to the people around you. We can so often do that and say, okay, let's see how the other people of God are doing. And we can kind of draw our markers there. But God would say, I want you to look to me. Sometimes we can just go along and think, okay, they're doing this, so I'm all right to do this as well. They've shared this, and uh, actually, yeah, for me, that's all right. But actually, God would say, come on. I want a people that don't just make a one-off decision to choose me, but every day to choose me. It can be really easy to start something well, but actual real fruitfulness goes hand in hand with faithfulness. For some of you that have journeyed with Jesus for many years, I stand here today and I commend you. Thank you for what you model to my generation, for those that still burn with a passion and a fire for Jesus. They say, I'm not going to let the hard hits or lessons of life take the zeal in my heart. You model something to us. We see, my generation sees the way you love your kids. My generation sees the way that you choose to share your faith. Your kids see that. Raising your child in the ways of the Lord doesn't just mean telling them or teaching them. It means showing them, modeling something of real faith continues in obedience. I'm not saying this is easy. You know what, Moses, he had a few wobbles. And in those places, you can see in the story, he had to come back to God. God affirmed him again. And for some of us, it might just be a reminder to go, just keep going. Keep being obedient. Keep following God. I've said to a few people recently, I never want to be like a shooting star. Just come on the scene for a little while, burning for Jesus, choosing to honor him, and then it just all peters out. If we're going to see people free, it takes grit and it takes resolve. It takes a people that say, I'm going to continue in obedience even when it hurts. I'm going to fight the good fight and I'm going to run the good race and I'm going to throw off everything that hinders me. I'm going to choose to be obedient. That's not an easy word because it means some disciplines. It means walking in accountability. It means being sensitive to the spirit even when it feels like obedience is being thrown in your face. But let me tell you, God's ways work. His ways work. Being obedient to him is worth it. Why? Because my life is worship. Our lives are worship. Everything we are, everything we have and do is worship into him. His relentless obedience sees the deliverance of a whole nation. Him going back time and time again to Pharaoh, regardless of how it looked, because of a promise of what he'd said, Eventually, the people get set free. And if we're going to see our friends and relatives saved, let me tell you, continue to be obedient. Your lives will shine like stars amongst the warped and crooked generation because you live for Jesus. Because you're showing something of him in your workplace, in your school or uni, in your family. You're showing that there's a way that is higher because you've been set free. I'm not bondage to these things anymore. Chosen people continue in obedience. Chosen people are freedom bringers. They overcome their inadequacy. And finally, chosen people use what's in their hand. We see this in Exodus 3 and Exodus 14, two verses that are on the screen. 
Exodus 4.2, we see this is right in the middle of, of Moses' excuses. When he's coming to God and saying, I don't know how, I don't know what this is going to look like. And, Mo- and God asks Moses this really simple question. He goes, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. A staff makes it sound like really fancy. He had a stick in his hand. He had something very normal, something really ordinary. And God would come to you today, and you might come and say, well, how does this look? Maybe I need to get this degree or, or do this or earn this much to start being generous or this just needs to be right and I can obey and do and set people free and God would say, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What do you have right now? It could be that you've got a kettle in your hand and you love looking after people. It could be that you love baking. It could be that you've got a pen in your hand and it's academic. It could be that you've got a microphone in your hand and you're a singer. What's in your hand because God can use it in a miraculous way? We see this, Exodus 14, verse 16, the point where they're crossing the Red Sea. God doesn't just part the Red Sea on his own. He says to Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Something that was ordinary, so normal, Moses gave it to God. He yielded it to God's work in, and a miracle was worked through his hands. God wants to use our ordinary and make them extraordinary. He wants to use what seems to us as natural and make something supernatural happen. The deliverance was supernatural, but he used what was in Moses' hand. Some of us today, we, we maybe just have a tight clench of what we have. God would say, what's in your hand? And you try and hide it from him. We can say, Lord, I give you my life, but then we don't give God our time or resource or future. We try and keep this aspect, this relationship away from God because, yeah, that's in my hand, but God, that's mine. You can have everything else. But chosen people, they have open hands to God. That's the only way that God can pour in and through your life. That's the only way you can be a conduit of blessing. That's the only way that you can give unto others. That's the only way you can receive. But if you've got clenched fists, God's not going to use what's in your hand. God would say, I can work with that. Whatever you've got, if you yield it to me, I can work with that. Because he qualifies you. Your career, maybe it's your business, maybe it's your academics, your sport, your family. For some of us, the most potent thing we have in our hand and the enemy would is so fearful that we give it over to him is our future. God works with what Moses has. And we can just have in our own insecurities and inadequacies a deep desire to, to try and, and be something more to try and get to a place where the world would deem us like we're qualified. I've struggled with this in my own life in various different, different ways, and, and actually it, it just comes back to this place where it was, it was never about me anyway. He chose me in his sovereign will. I stand here as a believer and follower of Jesus because of him. He loved me relentlessly before I did anything for him. 
And even if I don't do anything, he loves me still. And yet he loves me enough to say, I'm going to use what's in your hand, Luke. He looks at you and he says, I want to use what's in your hand. I want to bring people to freedom through your life, whether it's you pouring teas, baking cakes or singing. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. As I draw to a close, I just want to invite the the band up to help me this morning. I love this. God using what we have and what we give over to him. This is the kindness and grace of our God. I get excited when I look out in this room because I see, see so much potential, so much kingdom potential. I see so many chosen individuals. We can offer all that we have to our wonderful king. You know, I loved hearing of a recent story. We've got Hugh here today and, and Alex, I think, is serving around and their brother passed away recently. And they had their Thanksgiving service for Pat McNeil on, on Monday. And what was incredible is that they, they had a moment there. there. There was, you know, great joy that Pat knew his Savior, but also a moment that was that is with, of grief, a moment of pain. And they took that and all that it was, and they said, there's a Thanksgiving service I have in my hand, but God, I give it to you now. This is yours. What, what I have, I give for you to be glorified. And in that time, there was worship song. And, and God, because of his passionate heart for people, he showed up in that place. The presence of God was there. And a woman, one of the relatives who suffered for tinnitus for years, for problems with her hearing and con- continuously hearing uh, some background noise and, and this kind of pain, in a moment she was healed. On Monday, at a Thanksgiving service, she was healed. God met with her right there in that place. And not only that, Alex said, I've got an opportunity here. Lord, this is in my hand. This might be painful. This might hurt. But Lord, I give it to you. And, and, and Alex preached the gospel. He shared Jesus in that space. And, and one of his relatives gave his life to Jesus that day. Because he gave what was in his hand. Yeah. Incredible. What could have been an ordinary moment was made extraordinary because they gave it to God. What could have just been a natural moment became a supernatural moment because they gave it to God. And each and every moment when it gets to your Monday, I don't know what your normal week looks like, but when it gets to Monday, I want you to think, Lord, I give you what's in my hands. Whatever I do, God, I know you've chosen me to bring freedom to others. And I want to walk this out. I'm going to invite us to stand all across this place. The final verse that I want us to see from Moses' story is in Exodus 14, verse 31. And it says this, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. When Moses used what was in his hand and the Red Sea was parted and a miracle was done through his hand and the people were delivered, what the Israelites saw wasn't just Moses' hand, but they saw and gave glory to God. And when you yield to the working of God in your life and give what's in your hand, my prayer and my belief is that people will glorify your Father in heaven. 
that through your hand, people are going to see the sovereign hand and grace of God. That through your life, people are going to be set free from sin and bondage and they are going to say, I I can put my trust in this God. But as chosen people, as freedom bringers, we have to come before God and, and bring everything we have. Bring our inadequacies because God wants us to overcome those inadequacies. To bring our pain and bring our excuses. So I'm going to invite you where you are just to respond to God in your own way. Just maybe to close your eyes and and open your hands as a sign of saying, God, my hands are open to you. Take what I have, Lord. Lord, you see what's in my hands. You know what you've given me. And Lord, I give it over to you again. Some of us, we just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry where I've, I've sinned against you, but I'm going to commit to continue in obedience, God. Some of us, we've just been hurt in the past and we've been hurt by being obedient to God and feel like I, I don't want to do this anymore. But God would say, continue in obedience. My ways work, trust me, my ways are higher than your own. So, Lord, we look to you in this place today. And I pray, Lord, as we worship God in this place, I pray as we look to you, the great I am, that you would come and minister to your children, that you would fill us with faith again, that we would choose faith over fear. So, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you work in this place tonight? Would freedom be brought because of a people saying, take what's in my hands, God. In your precious name, Jesus.